Welcome to the Religion and Story podcast. This is our season finale for season five. So we're thankful for all of our listeners and watchers on YouTube who have stuck with us throughout this season. And we're looking forward to next year as well. So we thought we'd play a little game with our podcast topic for our season finale. Now, if you've ever seen the old VH1 show called The List, it's a fun game show format for listing ideas. If you haven't seen it, Go over to YouTube right now and watch an old episode from the 90s. Hold on. After you've listened to the podcast, then go watch it. It'll set the mood. Anyway, so the way we're going to do this, we have a topic called 10 Little Things for Church Improvement, Ways that Churches Can Improve the Services that They're Offering to Members. The way we're going to do this, we've ranked our list, so we're going to go through our number three rankings. Uh, We'll do a roundtable on that, and we'll each go through our number two and our number one. We'll mention any honorable mentions that we had. Then we will eliminate uh, one each from the list, and then we'll each say which we think is our favorite one and try to come up with some fake winner for our season finale. So, Daniel, why don't you get us started off with your number three little thing that a church can do uh, to be better in serving? Uh, so my, my first one that I want to share is uh, maybe not terribly doable if you've already not done it, but for people who are starting new churches or if you just find yourself in a state of fluctuation, um, it is really important for churches who have their their eyes set on the future to limit the amount of money they are paying for ministers. And the best way to do that is, of course, by having less ministers on staff or at least uh, full-time ministers. This is an idea that I've stolen from Tom Rayner. He has a, a uh, not as good podcast as ours, of course, but an excellent podcast worth checking out on church topics. And uh, his professional opinion, this is a big thing for churches looking to the future as church budgets get tightened. It's really important to use your money more wisely. And a big part of that is limiting the amount of ministers that you're putting on staff. So that's my number three pick. Stephen, what's your number D- three? Daniel, before we move on, is there kind of a ratio that you would suggest, like one minister per Per um, a number of people, I think that uh, we should have a lot more part-time ministers. And so I'm thinking once you get to the 150 mark, I have a preacher and only a part-time youth minister. Normally when you get to 150, you've got two full-times at that point. You've got your full-time preacher, full-time youth. Uh, 400, I'm thinking two, two and a half. So that... uh, take it from there. Someone else can do the math and figure out what that that line of best fit would be. Sure. So, so I'm curious. Uh, we are giving feedback on these, right? Sure. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, so, is this more just a, a concern for um, the dollars being spent by the congregation? Uh, you know, anytime I go to the latest and greatest community church in the area, I go to their uh, about us section and I see paid positions that I scroll for days on. You got your uh, communications person, your professional door greeter, uh, with normal, like what you would think deacons are given these responsibilities of, but it's yeah. just like everybody and their dog works for a uh, this congregation. So yeah, it, it, I think 
you got a good idea there and it's very countercultural to where we're seeing which I will say I like that people are wanting to work in the church. It's a, sure. what a better job to work in. And so, uh, but it, yeah. I think it'll be a lot more effective if you have four part-time guys rather than two full-time uh, guys so beyond the preacher. I think you do need that one, at least one full-time minister um, if you can afford it. But yeah, I mean, when you get to 2000 member churches, yeah, they're going to have those huge staffs, but I think probably the money is better spent and it allows you to get more of those people involved in the church when that's a common problem. When you get those massive churches, they have so many paid staff members, don't have that, have a lot more um, people getting involved. Uh, I think it would make sense that if you're, if it's your job and you're being paid to do a certain function for the church, you're, it's likely that the product that you're putting out for the church is going to be better. Sure. Uh, but yeah. Uh, All right. Steven, what's your number three? So mine loosely related to that, uh, but budget more for social media. And I'm specifically talking about even smaller churches. You have an aging um, congregation. Uh, that is your form of local and uh, international missions. Uh, this is something that is often overlooked because it's new, different, maybe you're uncomfortable, you don't use it yourself, but uh, if you want to have your church uh, bring in some new blood, then I think the even if you're having to pay somebody that doesn't even attend your church to monitor your, uh, just keep it up to date, your webpage, uh, a Facebook page is usually what most congregations are doing. That is something that I think that will make a church better if they're putting more of their money into that. Just, you know, you don't necessarily have to be supporting five uh, missionaries that are going out and, uh, put, you know, boots to the ground. Uh, yeah. What do you guys think? I'm not even ashamed to admit, um, Lauren and I are moving to Waco soon, and the what first, not the first thing we did, but one of the things we did was we Googled churches in the Waco area, and I looked at their websites, and I said, I want to go to that church first, because its website was way better than all of the other ones. So it, I think, Stephen, that suggestion will go a long ways. Yeah, it, it makes a difference. Um, in economics, we call this signaling, right? It, it's not actually telling you uh it's not purposefully telling you information but it's telling you about the way that they think about you that if they're willing to put the investment into um being up to date on the way that people communicate today um it's telling you that they're trying to reach out to those groups so um i completely agree Stephen. i think that that one's really important some might argue and I'm arguing with myself here that it, uh, this is the first layer of making your church into a performance where you are, it's, you're trying to, you're not necessarily using Christ, but you're using gimmicks, if you will, an attractive web page to bring people in. But I think that's a weak argument. So well, yeah, we could deconstruct a whole bunch of stuff that we'll say tonight. And you know what, if you don't do it with the right motives, none of these are good. So uh, I, I mean, none of us are going to have as number one, you need to worship Jesus, because we kind of just assume that that's what you're supposed to do. So, 
<laughs> Stephen's like, I'm going to cross that one. <laughs> All right, Michael, what's your number three? All right, so my number three is uh, that all of the members uh, should know who to take visitors to. Here's what I mean by that. Um, if you have a young couple that comes to visit your congregation, and uh, let's say you're an older person, and you're, you're probably not going to be best friends with this young couple, but they, some for some reason, sat next to you, you should know another young couple within your congregation to bring over to them and say, hey, y'all should get to talking with it, with each other. Um, and, I, and this is not just a young couple saying or a family saying. It should be that everyone knows here is an outgoing person who's not going to have a hard time bringing this person in and making them feel welcome. Um, I don't think that this excuses anyone from uh, from being friendly, being hospitable to visitors to the congregation, but it should be more well-established that we know how to make people feel connected and no one gets out the door without a friendly face talking to them. So what do you all think? Are you trying to get down to the, I think the root of the issue would be that some of the younger people don't know the older people in the congregation and vice versa? Um, yes, yes, yes. So I, I think that there is likely a, a, you know, if you sit in a certain section of the auditorium, and if you're a visitor, you don't know the difference between sections. So you come in, and it seems like no one in this section is friendly, but really what happened was you sat in a section that isn't in a similar life stage to you. So hopefully, though, hopefully the older people or the younger people, wherever they sit, are nice to those people, but I think you're more likely to get that connection if you pair them with someone who is an outgoing individual that shares something in common with them. Okay. Yeah, I, All right. Go ahead. Real quick. So I've, I've been a little hesitant to, um, to just go fully in on um, taking people to certain individuals in the church because it's almost like, I really don't know what to do with you here. Go to a minister. Uh, and it's more along the lines of if uh, somebody has an issue with something, like if, uh, let's say, a homeless person comes in to your uh, worship assembly and you're getting to know them afterwards and uh, they're saying, well, can I have some money or something like that? Oh, I can't help you there. You're going to have to talk to a minister. So, so, so Stephen, I think that's a good one. So in, in our congregation, um, we have a so we have a guy, right? So I obviously I could give a five, I could give a twenty if I ever had any cash in my billfold. But we have a guy who knows not not only where all the resources are, but he's he's got the key, right? He can get into the room, he can get food, he can get a bus bus token, or whatever's needed in that time. And so, Stephen, I, I think you're right. This is not just you know our um, our typical visitors that we might be more comfortable with. Stephen, you're right that, that this should be the sort of thing that is for all people. You should you should expect different types of people to come into your service. We shouldn't resist uh, being a part of it ourselves, but I, it's part of it. So as a person that works in risk analysis for my uh, everyday occupation, I, uh, I would hope that you guys would have a backup plan to, if like, your guy with the keys, you know, gets hit by a bus or something. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's not good to have siloed people within the congregation, but I like your point. Uh, am I up next? 
Uh, Daniel, why don't you give us your number two? Yeah. My number two uh, is a, it's an idea that we've talked about before on the podcast. Um, but I, I think that just goes to show that this is a valuable idea and is worth repeating. I'm already trying to tell y'all so that my stuff doesn't get kicked off the list later. Um, but my, my number two is that we need to use the church building more responsibly. A big part of that is making sure that the, the building is constantly being used. We've talked before about how communities, especially um, uh, urban settings, can look down on a congregation because they are taking up valuable real estate and they leave their buildings empty uh, six out of seven days of the week, maybe a little bit on Wednesday evening. And so not only is it valuable, uh, an easy solution to that might be having sort of devotional type activities throughout the week or youth activities, stuff like that, um, but also just offering some sort of service to the community itself that's maybe not um, worship or uh, directly religion-focused, so that's always in the back of the mind for uh, a church. Um, but making this building offer some sort of value to the community. That's my number two. D Daniel, is there any, uh, maybe a church, a congregation that you've seen do this well, where you have an example or two of ways to use the building throughout the week? Um, so this, I, the importance of this idea was impressed upon me by Steve Clower at Southside Church of Christ, where um, I grew up and y'all spent yeah. most of y'all's youth. So he's really big on this idea. It's been written up in the Christian Chronicle how Southside has tried to uh, manifest these ideas. Another church that I worked at for a little bit, uh, Garden Ridge Church of Christ in Louisville, Texas, um, they, I felt like they also did a, a pretty good job, even though they're not in an urban, like a inner city setting, they did a good job of keeping that building used. Yeah, I, I like that idea. Uh, if I was to take a, a preemptive guess of which might end up with our favorite, it could be this one. Uh, and I've always envisioned something like uh, a churches offering similar services to what you would see with United Way, giving back to the community, helping. Uh, I had uh, one idea that um, a church that had like an open lot behind it could offer to allow uh, soccer teams practice on their uh, grass and uh, use that as the facility. You're not actually using the building, but you got a piece of grass that could be used for a youth soccer team because I know that a lot of teams struggle to find uh, places uh, to practice. Field space is a commodity. And so uh, if you're telling people, okay, we're going here, people are having to come to your buildings uh, to put their kids into a program. So they're going to know where you are. So I think that's the first step. Something. But yeah, I like your idea. That's a good one. Steven? Uh, Steven, what's your number two? My second one was uh, the autonomy of congregations has really been something where people can dig their feet in and say, this is the way we're going to do it. And so I would hope that churches will begin to have more relations with other congregations where you're worshiping with them, trying to find more unity in the local sense, and uh, uh, even outside of, of 
you're within a denomination or uh, that you can find denominations that you can develop communication with. Uh, because if you if it's a matter of you're wanting to if you don't agree with them on something and you think they need to be converted, well, start doing things with them so that they at least know who you are. If you're siloing yourself away from other religious groups, then what are they going to think of you? So I think it is something that you should if you want to evangelize to other Christians, not to say that uh, you're just stealing from other churches which we've talked about, like if you're, if you're growing because you're taking from other churches within your religious group, is that really growing? Uh, but yeah, if you're stealing from uh, outside denominations, then uh, I think that is something that would benefit you. That's acceptable. I, I, I think I might disagree with that last point. Um, I, I would probably still... Uh, describe that as sheep stealing. Um, but I do really like the idea in general. In fact, it almost made my list. Um, I, I especially like the idea, um, of course, yeah, doing things with congregations of a similar background, similar denomination as you, um, but also other denominations I think is really valuable. Probably you don't want to do like a joint worship with them because it's going to be very different and there's just going to be a lot of make more conflict maybe than it's worth. But there's a lot of other stuff that you can do with these congregations, uh, particularly service activities. Yeah. I think that's a really good idea, Stephen. There are a lot of things that I, I can't get into everything about what the benefits would be. Uh, and, uh, people go to churches because uh, that's what they're used to that's what they're comfortable with. Not to say that's a good reason to go to a church or not. Uh, I know that there are different culture groups in local areas that worship one way versus another, but they still agree and have unity over the doctrine that they confess. And so uh, in those circumstances, I think it would be beneficial for you to worship with those people because you have, you agree on what you believe to be essential uh, but yeah, I think uh, to address your point of sheep stealing, yeah, I, I don't necessarily, I, I agree with you, Daniel, and I'm just saying from somebody who would feel that way, that's why I brought that up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, the, one, the one thing I'll add here is that I think it's, it's a good idea, especially if you're a small congregation, to be aware of the other ministries that are offered by neighboring congregations, uh, uh, neighboring churches, and to be able to say to someone, you know, we don't have that here, but it's it's available right over there. Um, and, you know, we shouldn't be ashamed that people are getting help, uh, that we are allowing others to serve others. That's a good thing. So um, I would like to see, you know, our congregation does a school supplies drive you know, if there was a neighboring congregation where we said you get, you know, you do your school supplies drive here and then right over here, they have, you know, something similar to that. Um, they have a tutoring program over there. Just letting uh, people know about the resources that would be applicable to them. And in that way, you know, they're more likely to find a connection somewhere. So let me share just real quick. The reason why I thought of this is because during our pandemic shutdown, uh, a lot of resources could be consolidated where uh, if a uh, 
I think a ghost just walked behind me. Now, I think uh, a lot of the resources could be consolidated. For example, uh, my family watched the children's worship that was published by uh, Southside Church of Christ that um, Daniel mentioned earlier. And so if uh, somebody is putting out a really good children's worship, what's to say my congregation can't say direct all of our members to it? Hey, instead of us going out and putting all this effort in, these guys are already doing it well. Let's do that. And, you know, we do that with Bible classes. I'm not going to teach you every what I think on this topic. This person already wrote a book on it, so I'm going to teach you what they said. Yeah, very well said. Um, so I'm going to uh, – mine's actually not too far off from what Stephen said on number two, but it's different enough to where I'll keep it. Um, so, Stephen, one of the things I was thinking about with you, with yours – is uh, joint worships with neighboring congregations. And where this most often happens is when you have uh, different uh, racial, racial or ethnic makeups between your two congregations. Say, let's have a unity service together. I think those are good things. So mine goes a little bit, uh, goes in a little bit different direction than that. So my number two is that if you have uh, uh, several staff members, which I know goes against Daniel's number three, but if you do, uh, you should seek to hire a multiracial ministry staff. Here's, here's why I think that this is important. Uh, we often talk a big game about having racial unity within the church. You know, we, we always quote Martin Luther King that the uh, churches on a Sunday morning is the most segregated portion of America, and that's probably still pretty true. So we, we talk about how we want that to be different. We say, well, I wish that we could just have a good conversation about you know, bringing our congregations together. I think we should put our money where our mouth is. And for me, I would say that, uh, for, for me, I would say once you get to three or four ministers, that's where you should, if, if you are a white congregation, you should seriously consider uh, hiring a minister that is of a different racial or ethnic background than the majority population. Um, this should obviously reflect the neighborhood that you are in, uh, to, to look like, uh, the neighborhood that you are in at, and I'll also say that this could be difficult. It, it could be that no one from those backgrounds want to work for your congregation. If that's the case, you probably have some, some, uh, in, uh, you need to look inward there, but I think it would be, it would be a goal that congregations can have as we're getting larger, we're hiring on more staff, consider hiring uh, someone that is different racially, ethnically than yourselves. Guys, is this a good idea? That is a great idea. However, I slightly disagree with, uh, let me say, I do not believe that the problem is racial. I believe that the problem is cultural being that, well, let me say, people are afraid of what they don't understand. So if a, a different culture is something that you can't relate to, you're afraid of it. And I think a lot of the uh, racial tensions that are currently existing right now are because of that, where um, if, let's say, a black man is uh, behaving the way a white culture wants them to, they're m more accepted. Uh, not to say that they won't face discrimination regardless of their skin color. I'm sure it exists, and I'm, uh, I would be a fool to say it didn't. 
but yes, I think that the the reason that people are at tension is because cultures are different. And the I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of pushback on that, but uh, and hopefully I don't. Uh, they don't kick me off the internet for life. Stephen, let me let me where I think you're going with this is that um, I, I've been to I've been to three or four um, at least predominantly African American congregations, and of those four, two of them had worship is services. Saying, is that like saying I have, I have lots of black friends? There's nothing wrong with that. I, you should be proud of having black. No, I'm saying that you're saying uh, that. Oh, I've been to three or four black congregations. I, okay, I'm just trying to tell the story. Okay, so of those congregations that I have attended, two of them I would consider to be very similar to the worship styles, the worship services uh, that I've experienced in the majority of my white congregations that I've, I've got predominantly white congregations. Um, I have been to a few black congregations where I went in and there was nothing unscriptural about what was going on, but it was very different. And that's okay that, that there is a different way of doing things within uh, black congregations. And maybe, Stephen, you were talking about because people are unaware of it. Maybe they should be aware of it. Maybe we should uh, have some exposure to these different styles. That said, um, if that's what's holding you up, I think you probably can find black ministers who would say, yeah, I'm perfectly fine with the way that you currently do things, uh, you know, as far as worship styles or, you know, whether communions before or after the sermon. A anyway, Stephen, I know that there's more to it there, but I'm just saying that it, we shouldn't get too hung up on it. Yeah, no, I agree. No, I'm not done talking, Daniel. You can wait. Uh, so, but yeah, let's say in Austin, Texas, there's a very large Hispanic population, Latino. Sure. Uh, and so if my church was to hire a Hispanic Latino uh, minister, that he is going to be able to relate to that type of a culture. And so, yeah, I think the benefits of that are, there are a lot. So, yeah. uh, Daniel, now share what you think. Uh, sure. I, uh, we all said is fine. Stephen, your, your critique that um, the diversity that Michael is advocating for is valuable, um, but it's always good to keep in mind that there, there, it's even more beyond that that you have to, um, if we're trying to solve these, these deep tensions. Um, culture is a, a big part of it. Um, so I'll go ahead and move into my, my final pick, my number one. That's all right. Uh, this is, again, this is something that we've talked about before. In fact, I think it was just two or three podcasts ago that we discussed this, um, but it's a winner, and that's why I'm, I'm sharing it as my number one. Uh, that is, we need to move every congregation across the country, across the globe, needs to move their worship to before their Bible class times. Um, and while we're at it, let's bump all these uh, churches up to 9.30. No more of this 9 o'clock nonsense. Uh, so 9.30 worship, whenever that's over, Bible class afterward, a minute to win it. All right, that's all I got. It's not rocket science, folks. If you're a, a leader of a congregation and you're listening to this, why haven't you done it already? Seriously, this is a no-brainer. If you want people to come to your church and then stay to be edified in fellowship and not just come in and leave, this is a no-brainer. 
Thanks. All right, Stephen, let's move on. We already know that's going to win. So Stephen, you tell us your number one. Uh, all right. So I can't remember where I was really going with this, but I was going to say bring cancel, cancel culture to sin. And if you are sinning, you're canceled. And I'm thinking, well, everybody sins. Isn't that right? And so I don't know where I was going with that. I had a joke in there somewhere. I'll share it with you my honorable mention uh, just to, so I don't. Here, let me, let me do my number one first. Say gonna, go, go ahead, Michael. Okay, we're going to do my number one, and then we'll get into our honorable mentions while we think about which one to cancel. Okay, so my number one is a new members class. Um, I think that we often think about um, will the will our church look the same in the next generation? Will our doctrinal stances uh, be well communicated? Because it's it's uncomfortable. When do we talk about these divisive issues? And how do we know that we are unified in our ideas? Well, one way of going about that is having a new members class, so that people who come in at least hear once uh, what it is that we believe as a congregation. At least hear once about all the resources that are offered by our congregation instead of two or three years into their membership saying like, oh, we do that? Oh, I, I never knew. Well, if you have a new members class, it gives you a perfect opportunity to tell people all about the things that you do. Even give them a tour of the building because there are random rooms in our building that I've never been to. So I think there's a lot of good things that could be done with the new members class as well as introducing people, which was also a theme of one of my earlier ones. Uh, so guys, before we get into uh, any comments there. No, it's great. Okay. So let's go through our honorable mentions. Do we all have one to, to do here? Yeah, I'll, I'll share my honorable mention first. We'll go in the same order. And uh, I'm also going to share, I'm just going to repeat my three ideas. So y'all know which ones you can pick out and vote to win. Uh, so my honorable mention is that we need to put more uh, effort into assigning teachers to, uh, to Sunday morning classes, um, finding people who are good at teaching. They have that, those social skills, but also um, are going to be challenging members and not just get, uh, providing a good time for an hour. And... Um, and if you don't have someone who meets both those criteria, being able to cycle through um, teachers so that you're not stuck with one teacher, even if they are great, they're the perfect combination, just getting some variety in there. So more effort in picking teachers. My three things that I had said before, number three was less staff. Number two was using the building. Number one was worship for class. Steven? Oh, you're wanting me to give my honorable, honorable mention? mention. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, honorable mention was get rid of satellite congregations, uh, where it's uh, something that I was talking about. Um, one of my other ones was lessening the autonomy of congregations, but this one says that, yeah, congregations should be autonomous uh, where they're not dependent upon another church but you should still be having relationships with the other congregation. So just to recap mine, maybe I should just move my number one down to number three because it's not going to be a threat to win. Yeah. Bring cancel culture to sin. And so that let's say that's my number three. 
My number two then was to budget more for social media. And then that makes my number one uh, to have relationships with other uh, congregations, whether they are within your denomination or uh, religious group or not. All right. And so my honorable mention is that you should have more local short-term mission trips. Uh, I'm the, don't even go to a neighboring state. Stay within your zip code. In fact, I think it would be really cool to call them zip code trips where you are serving people within your local zip code. It will do a lot. There's a lot of good uh, that that solves. So, all right, guys, um, Just go ahead. Just a quick comment on that one. And I think a lot of it has to do with the name. If you call doing that a mission trip rather than just because what what people refer to that to as now is a service project. Nobody wants to go do service projects. They want to go on mission trips. So if you call that a mission trip, then I think it'll get a lot more people on board. That's good. All right, guys, uh, we don't have too much time, so let's do a quick elimination. Uh, Daniel, you get the first one. So I'll go ahead and start this off. I'll eliminate my own so you don't have to worry about that. Something else. Um, goodness, Mike, Michael, can you tell me your three real quick? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, my three are uh, number three, know who to take visitors to. Number two, a multiracial ministry staff. And number one, a new members class. Uh, I like those. I think I'm going to, I'm going to take off your, your number three, Michael. The, okay. Um, know who to take the visitors to. Yeah. Know who to take visitors to. Um, the new members class will somewhat solve that issue. So that's my vote to take off. Not See, if they never become members or ministers. I'll be a man of my word and say I will eliminate the uh, bring cancel culture to sin. But I would have also eliminated the one that Daniel did. Okay. But if you want to, you can kind of wrap that into your new members class. That's right. Well, Stephen, uh, I would have gotten get rid of satellite congregations because I think that that is one of the best things that uh, congregations can do. So it's not on your list, though, so I can't get rid of it. Um, I will get rid of. Oh man. Um, ooh, wow. Okay, all of these are good. So I think the weakest of the good ones is uh, limiting money spent on ministers, just because you know um, if if that's a way to bring more people to do God's work, then maybe that's not the worst thing. Daniel, I just think that it's yeah, it's It's not a bad idea. It's just not the best. So all right, so. Uh, we have li- eliminated a few. Each one of ours got one eliminated. Fancy that. Um, each and also the third one because of Stephen rearranging his list. So, um, all right, uh, Daniel. Uh, I, I guess we can just kind of do this collectively. What's what's our winner? Which one do you like from the other two lists, or what's something that's sticking out to you from this conversation? Stephen, you so your top one is spending more time with other. Um, churches but i also really like your your webs the website even more than social media if you focus on the website i like that michael you had uh two good ones as well um actually michael i think i'm gonna vote for my top one out of y'all's is going to be the uh racial diversity on the ministry staff i like that 
um, I think that's a good idea and is certainly relevant for uh, ongoing issues right now. Steven, sure. what do you think? What are you thinking about this? The whole thing and and uh, hey, what's your number one? Uh, worship time and using buildings was my number two. Oh man, I I don't want to. That one kind of makes its own list. Uh, I think it should just win by default, but uh, just for the sake of argument, I'm going to double down on Michael's uh, uh, racial uh, or cultural uh, diversity within ministers. Uh, it's a hot topic right now, so yeah, you kind of played the, uh, the popularity card there. So uh, I like it though. It, because uh, I think a lot of congregations are only catering to a certain type of people. Um, and so if you're able to reach other culture groups, then you're going to grow into those culture groups. Uh, my wife and I, whenever we go to South Texas, where she's originally from, we go to a bilingual congregation where uh, everybody worships together. Uh, for the first 15, 20 minutes, take communion together. And then they, there's a Spanish speaking preacher and also an English speaking preacher. And they split so they can hear their own messages at that point. So. That's awesome. That's really cool. Um, all right, guys, I have the hard task of pick. I, I really think that all four of yours are really good. Um, Daniel, I'm not dinging you because yours are recycled from previous podcasts, although they are very good. Um, I, I, I genuinely think that we should spend more time thinking about Stephen's number one. Like, how can how can my congregation spend more time with other congregations? Uh, a podcast we didn't do this season was the pros and cons of Bible of uh, church camp. And one of the big pros of church camp is getting to spend time with kids from other youth groups. I wish there was a way for adults to do the same thing. You know, there's, there's the area wide worship, but we end up talking to our own people there. So how do we spend more time with other congregations to get out of our own little bubble and see the good that God is doing across his kingdom? This has been a, I, I think this has been a good podcast. It's been a good season. We're thankful for all of our listeners. Uh, we appreciate you listening. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please do so. Uh, leave a review on iTunes. It helps. And we're also thankful to the Christian Chronicle for featuring uh, us previously. And uh, thanks for being with us this season. We'll see you next year.